Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host Jeanette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode... 69? No, it's not 69 yet. Calm down. 65! <laughs> I feel like we haven't got back into the swing of things yet. We need to get back to recording like... Now let's stick with once a week. Like the pros. What are you... What? What did you think I was going to say? Like twice a week. We can barely manage once a week. Can we crack on? Crack on. You will seldom find someone in Ireland who won't know where the Hellfire Club is. But I'm always shocked to hear of friends who have been to the Hellfire Club but haven't visited Massey's estate. From the car park, the Hellfire Club is up the hill and Massey's is down the hill. They're super close to each other. It is a fabulous location for walking or hiking. The forest offers a vast ecological resource of flora, wildlife and tree species. Did I rob that from the website? Yes, yes, I did. But every time Stephen and I go there, I nearly miss all of the tall trees with their variety of different colours. The bridge that goes over a babbling brook with the most relaxing, good enough to fall asleep to sounds of water. But it's only because I want to get to the ruins, what's left of the original mansion. And I don't mean ruins like an abbey or an old home that's no longer in use, but you can still make out what it once was. I mean an exterior wall here and a garden wall there. The place is huge. My imagination goes into complete overdrive. History has a wonderful way of fueling the imagination, even when it's not socially acceptable to daydream at work. This is where I learned how to really use my camera. Long exposure on the river so it looks like silk, how to create sun stars, and close-ups with a macro lens taking pictures of tiny bugs I would never have seen with the naked eye. So how did I wind up daydreaming about Massey's and the wonderful magical forest? I fell down a rabbit hole, of course. I was doing research for another Tower of London ghost episode, and I was reading about Henry VIII and how he beheaded a man named Edmund Dudley. Dudley and Sir Richard Empson were two of the most powerful men on Henry VII's council. They were despised by the people of England. As soon as Henry VII died and Henry VIII succeeded, he acted to secure his popularity and reputation as a people's king. He found shaky evidence at best that Dudley and Empson had been embezzling money. His court found them guilty and Henry had them beheaded. They died in a public execution in 1510. But some say that Henry VIII wasn't satisfied with just their execution, and he actually cursed the Dudley family and all future generations. Now I'm not sure if the connection can be verified, but here we have our rabbit hole, because today I want to discuss the Dudley Town curse. Some stories say the journey from England to Connecticut, US, was a need rather than a want for better things. Edward's son John also wound up with his head on the chopping block. So it was John's son Robert who fled England and eventually ended up in America. Now, despite its name, Dudley Town is not a town. It never was. It's more of a hamlet, tucked up in the hills of northwestern Connecticut. Joseph Dudley was born in an area called Saybrook, Connecticut, in 1674. And it was his three sons that settled in the area we know now as Dudley Town. Not long after, other settlers followed and a community began to form. 
But as the 1700s came to a close, terrible things started to happen to the members of the 30-something family town. First to be affected was the Carter family, who had moved to Dudley Town in the mid-1700s. Cholera struck six members of the family and they died in quick succession. The remaining members of the family were left distraught and, as you can imagine, wanted to leave Dudley Town and start somewhere fresh, where they weren't constantly reminded of their loss. They relocated to New York, but almost immediately after settling there, Native Americans raided their property, leaving only three survivors, the Carter children, who were sadly kidnapped and never seen or heard from again. The next to be struck down with this string of bad luck was a man named Hollister. Not much is known about how he died, but he died on the property of a man named Tanner. Tanner, who from what I've read never had any matters to lead people to believe he had any issues with his mental health. Almost immediately after Hollister's death, he began ranting incessantly about these creatures that would sneak around the forest at night. Eventually, Tanner went insane and would need to be cared for by his daughter for the remainder of his life. Now, though the insane rantings of one man who was desperately losing his mind doesn't sound like too much to worry about, other than for Tanner himself, his neighbour Abel, right next door, also began to report the exact same thing. Strange little creatures that would roam around the tree line circling the area. But very much like Tanner, no one would listen to Abel and his mind slowly started to unwind. And again, he too needed to be cared for until he passed. The next tragic loss was that of General Herman Swift's wife. After a long day of, well, whatever people did in the early 1800s, Herman and his wife were enjoying the evening wind down sitting on their porch together, when suddenly Herman's wife was struck by lightning and killed instantly. In shock over the loss of his wife and through grief, he too slowly lost his mind. And then in 1813, an unknown pandemic swept through the little area of Dudley Town and killed many of its residents whose numbers were small to begin with. But as members of the area were either dying suddenly or under strange circumstances or going mad, more and more people were starting to come forward with reports of nighttime sightings of shadow-like creatures in the woods moving around the tree line. It wasn't just those who stayed in Dudley Town though. In 1872, Mary Cheney, the wife of the famous journalist Horace Greenlee, took her own life. She had been born in Dudley Town. By around 1900, most, if not all, of Dudley Town's residents were gone bar one family, the Brophys. But just as before, something dark swallowed the Brophy family home. All of their sheep suddenly died, and then the mother died of tuberculosis. Not long after that, two Brophy sons were accused of burglary in a nearby town and they just disappeared. Which that sentence alone scares me. Did they flee and were they never seen again? Were they murdered and the bodies were never found? I I need more information. And then sadly, either by accident or deliberately in grief, the Brophy house, now empty bar Mr. Brophy, went up in flames. And it said that Mr. Brophy just walked into the forest, never to be seen again. Now as time went on, reports of shadow creatures stopped and the history of the little town wasn't talked about, which made sense. The people of Litchfield County, not far from Dudley Town, wanted to forget the sadness that surrounded the area. 
But the mistake there was if no one talked about the Dudley Town curse, how could people like Dr. William C. Clark or his wife Harriet know not to buy land there to build their second home in 1906? The couple lived full-time in New York City, where Dr. Clark was an oncologist and also a professor at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. The Clarks lived very exciting and fulfilling lives in the city, but they were also very hectic, which was the main reason they settled on Litchfield as a location for their second home, because it was the total opposite. As someone who lived in Dublin until I was 20 and then moved to the Midlands, I learned quickly it's not that country folk live slower lives. God knows there's nothing easy about running a farm or a local business. It's that Dublin city and its suburbs are all in a hurry. So personally, I see the appeal. So one day, the couple took the drive from New York City in search of a patch of land to call their own. They got to this old covered bridge picture the bridge from Beetlejuice and when they came out the other side they had a wonderful view of the mountainside and right up the top of this mountain was a huge forest area. They followed the road leading up to it as it zigzagged up the mountain but at some point the road became far too much for their car so they continued the journey on foot. After some time they entered the forest and it was a huge contrast to the open landscape they had come from. The trees acted as a thick canopy, blocking out the sun, cooling the air, and the forest was silent. But after a few minutes of walking, the forest came alive with the sound of woodland animals. They came upon a field of apple trees, with wild deer eating apples straight from them. It was picturesque, with huge, beautiful patches of roses and lilacs, and babbling brooks off in the distance. And then... As the sun began to come through the tree cover above them, it almost looked like the forest was sparkling. The forest was sitting on a hillside, which was made up of a rock that had mica inside it. Mica is a kind of mineral that, when sunlight hits it, it looks like it's shimmering. Before they decided to make their way back to their car, the couple saw many a splendid sight of birds and bees and plants and trees that solidified their decision. This is where they wanted to build their second home. But not for love nor money could they get a builder to take on the job. They just assumed that maybe being only one house, it was too small a job for a builder to take on. Plus, it wasn't the easiest of sites to get to. But none of them told them much more than was necessary to decline the job. It never dawned on the clerks that it might be something supernatural, paranormal or curse-like. The fact that the forest was called Dark Entry Forest didn't seem to faze them either. Dr. Clark decided he would build the house himself. After all, he had grown up on a farm and he was... and he knew how to build things. Over the next few months, he would travel from New York City to Dark Entry Forest every weekend and he would build his home piece by piece from the forest. He used the lumber from the massive realm of hemlock trees he cut down to build his rustic two-story cabin. On the nearby hilltop, there was a freshwater spring, so he laid piping from the spring into the cabin so they'd have fresh water. And then he built a swimming pool right up against a brook so they could sit and watch the fish swim by. Thanksgiving of that year, the cabin was finally done, and so Dr. Clark and his wife Harriet stayed to celebrate the holiday. As they were sitting in their swimming pool, watching the trout and listening to the owls hoot off in the distance, they both agreed to spend every summer there from there on out, as well as every major holiday they could manage, 
They would swim and hike and relax and they'd watch the seasons change on the mountainside's trees and it was perfect. That is until 1918. The summer of that year the Clarks were in their slice of paradise when Dr Clark was suddenly called back on a medical emergency to New York. Though Harriet loved their second home, she wasn't keen on the idea of being so alone. Not just by herself in the cabin, they owned 1,000 acres of land so she would be alone alone. But she dropped her husband to the train station and he assured her that he would be back as soon as possible. The train pulled out of the station and that was it, she was alone. Now, Dr. Clark was only gone approximately 36 hours. There's very little that can go wrong in a day and a half, right? Wrong. Dr. Clark arrived at the train station to his wife not waiting for him on the platform. Now, normally he was a rational thinking, straight shooting man, but something about this situation didn't sit right with him. Mrs. Clark didn't want him to go, so the fact that she wasn't there waiting for him felt off. Luckily, the station wasn't far from Dark Entry Forest, so on foot, Dr. Clark made his way back to his cabin, expecting to find his wife there having lost track of time or having had some car trouble. He got to the overgrown path that led to their house. As soon as he was under the canopy of trees, he began hearing the owls hooting very loudly off in the distance. Normally, the sound of these owls made him feel welcome, but this time he felt scared. He had a pit in his stomach that was gradually getting worse, so he began jogging through the forest. It was pitch black, and all he could hear was the sound of the owls. It was getting louder and louder, and then finally he reached the clearing where his property was. At this point, there was a plethora of owls hooting practically all around him. He looked up towards his house, up on the hill, and he saw that the front door was ajar. Now, with his heart racing and his mind thinking of all the worst-case scenarios, Dr. Clark ran up to the front porch. He got to the door and flung it open the rest of the way, and then right before he stepped into the house, a sudden high-pitched noise began up on the second floor. It was so startling to Dr. Clark that he just froze in place. Altogether then, it was so loud, from the owls all around him, in the woods behind him, and whatever this noise was, that he just stood there, unsure of what to do. So he gets up the courage to go inside and investigate. On walking inside, he can hear that the high-pitched noise was the sound of maniacal, insane laughter coming from the second floor. He realises his wife could be in danger, so he charged up the stairs to the second floor. From here, he could make out the high-pitched laughter was coming from the master bedroom. He ran down the short hallway to the closed door and opened it ever so slowly. And there, in the back corner of his room, was his wife. She was on the ground, rolled up in a ball facing the door. Her hands were clenched into fists, her eyes were open and unblinking, and her mouth was open, wider than was humanly possible. And as he's staring at his wife, wondering what's going on, he realises this insane high-pitched laughter is coming from her. But it didn't make sense. It doesn't even look like it was coming from her. Her chest was just heaving, her mouth was staying open, and the laughter was just coming out of her. Dr. Clark just stood there watching his wife, who was staring directly into his eyes, and finally, he just got so scared he turned and ran. During the 36 hours he was away in New York, something happened. Something happened to his wife, but we don't know what. The only thing we do know 
is it caused her to lose her mind and the only thing she would ever talk about were the strange creatures she saw in the forest. By some accounts, Harriet spent the rest of her life in a mental asylum. By other accounts, she went back to New York with Dr. Clark, where she took her own life. Today, all that remains of Dudley Town are crumbling stone walls, cellar holes and a few foundations, hence reminding me of Massey's and its remaining ruins surrounded by my favourite forest. But Dudley Town is hidden, in the deep, dark woods, and it is illegal for you to go there. However, people still sneak into Dudley Town for a walk around the ruins, and many of them have reported feeling pockets of cold air where there shouldn't be cold air. Some have said they've taken photographs inside of Dark Entry Forest near Dudley Town, and they've captured strange, shadowy figures that they swear weren't there when the photo was taken. The famous paranormal couple Ed and Lorraine Warren shot a special series in the 1970s inside Dark Entry Forest, and they declared the area around Dudley Town was demonically possessed. Now, whether you put much stock into Ed and Lorraine's verdict or not, or you believe in everything they have verified or not, that would be enough for me not to visit. What do you think of that story? That was really good. Yeah, it's really it good. good. Yeah, it's good. I like the way you started with a, with a personal story and then loop back around to Lord Massey. I just I thought it would be good to try and maybe explain how I end up where I get, and even at that, sometimes when I explain it, none of it makes any sense. Like I was supposed to be covering one of the London ghosts. And then I was talking, I was looking at Henry VIII and I was like, oh, look, somebody else he beheaded. Shock horror. And then when I started to look into it more, I was like, this place sounds gorgeous. It sounds lovely. It's, it's got, it's got streams and it's got wildlife and it's just got beautiful colours that change seasonally. Honest to God, Litchfield. Isn't that the prison in Orange is the New Black? I don't know. Isn't that the prison? I don't in know. the orange is new black. I'm maybe, saying it again because I'm closer to the Maybe mic. that's why I got it wrong. Um, I'm sure it was called Litchfield. Lynchfield? Yes, Stephen. Yes, it was. <laughs> I did have to Google that because I didn't know. <laughs> well, there you have it. You know um, the thing. No, but the place is stunning. It's it's like it's like it's it's just rolling hills and beautiful landscape so when i was reading about this thing i was like oh ruins oh that sounds a lot like now in fairness i think Ma- massey still has it's not functioning but it still has the bare bones of i think you told me it was like a fridge back in the day a, a ye oldie fridge yeah ye it's, oldie like fridge. A, it's like a stone igloo basically uh well the stone the big stone igloo is in our chair but what the way it works is the base is lower than the ground level so it's so, so super super cold so it like, keeps cold yeah so it has that so th- i'm reading through all this and i was like oh my god that sounds a lot like and then i read the story and i was like okay that's not massey's no, no. massey's is my lovely wonderful magical forest i should mention i took and i'll link it in the description i took a lot of that story from mr Bollin. i don't know if i've told you about him he's the guy who tells macabre or you know sometimes he does true crime sometimes he does paranormal he tells so many good stories um but i i couldn't find a good format for the story so i took a lot of it from there and i kind of irished it up good is that a proper story um but i just thought i'd cover the story because i just thought it was so wackadoodle mm. don't get me wrong 17 1800s you've got outbreaks of, uh, outbreaks of 
cholera you've got outbreaks of pandemics you've got you've got tons of things that could go wrong apparently the land itself wasn't great for vegetation so they had to outsource everything from different towns disease is rampant with um livestock so all the sheep died there is rational reasons for all of these things happening why is it illegal to go there because it's private property oh yeah they bought it all um and i think they're the restoration society or historical society oh, okay but they bought it and it's 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 like a 75 dollar fine and potential prison i was like that's weird the fine doesn't necessarily match the prison yeah. thing so it could 70, just be like a couple of days 75 dollar fine or three years in prison but <laughs> but it could be like take the three nights in prison or something or whatever i don't know but like for 75 quid you'd pay that for a guided tour so if you really wanted to go in and get a couple of yeah. pictures you could but i think it's it's kind of sad though because litchfield are trying to steer away from the whole paranormal thing because they want that area to be they want to redeem the acres back basically because yeah. it's a thousand acres well no they owned a thousand acres i don't know if the the forest is a thousand acres and um, there was a lot of characters in that did you focus on anyone in two. particular did you good 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 two doctors. yes well no harriet is his wife i think she was a homemaker housewife dr clark dr clark and mrs harriet. clark yes okay so molly parker who plays maureen maureen something oh my god O'Hara? Maureen, <laughs> Maureen Robinson. Who's that? Mother of the Robinsons. Oh my God, we literally just watched that. Yeah, okay. And then Dr. Clark, Toby Stevens, who plays John, who is the father of the Robinsons. Do you know what? They're very earthy people. They're real get down and dirty and do the do do the grunt work yeah. yourself. So I can actually see them. I can see that. I can see him building a house. I can see that. Um, mm-hmm. Where's Kathy Bates? Kathy Bates. In our kitchen, do you know what? Tea. Do you know what Kathy Bates is? She's the shadowy figure that's roaming yeah. around the forest. <laughs> um, I didn't fall down a rabbit hole this week. This whole episode was my rabbit hole. Um, you have any questions for me? No. We finish up there, so finish you on. Say your words. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions or queries, DM us on Instagram. It's What's the Story Ghost. If you have any personal stories you would like to share with us, or if anyone has any like local folklore that they want me to cover, because that was really small town, and I really enjoyed doing the research on that. Email us at What's the Story Ghost at gmail.com And those are all my words. Exit jingle. Exit jingle. Do 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 do. Bye. Bye. I'm really sorry. Was that supposed to be the Hilton? Yes. <laughs> but a creepy way. It was, it was, it was definitely the creep factor. What, what, what.